What's up ladies and germs, welcome to Silicon Subcontinent yet again. This is Shreyans and I'm so excited to introduce today's guest to everyone, Rahul Subramanian. He's the co-founder of Athena Education, a college counseling and mentorship company, and typical Musk fashion is also the co-founder of Florence Capital, a microcredit platform for Indian women. More than that, he's been an incredible mentor and friend to both Amin and I for the longest time. And we're so excited to have you today, Rahul. Thank you so much, Shreyan Sinaman. Great to be here. So, Rahul, one thing that really stood out to me the first time I met you was that you aren't actually from India, even though your name sounds Indian. You're actually raised in the US and then mm-hmm. came to India to start a company. So, my question to you is what made you come to India instead of just starting a company in the US? Uh, so this is probably uh, the question I got, I get the most, um, you know, why are you in India? Um, I grew up in Silicon Valley, so I resonate with this uh, podcast. So my parents were like uh, Indians from around the world and want to come here. Uh, we sacrificed so much. We picked up and came to the U.S. Uh, so you and your sister could have a better life and here you are throwing it all away moving back to India you know um, our extended family was uh, puzzled they were like what is this bacha doing Um, but I think uh, uh, you know looking back it was the best decision of my life Uh, so you know, after college, I was on kind of a, uh, a spiritual quest to find myself. Uh, my buddy Poshak, my co-founder and I, we were traveling around the world. Um, uh, we went to Brazil, Turkey, China, India, and uh, I was supporting myself by college counseling, you know, uh, mentoring kids and saving up just enough for the next uh, plane ticket. And then uh, we came to India. This was around uh, 2012. Now, you have to understand, my parents moved to India in 1990. So they had a very different conception of India. It was like, okay, India is stale. It's really uh, difficult to move up socioeconomically. There's so much corruption, yada, yada, yada. But what I saw in India when I came in 2012, was something much, much different. There was so much uh, entrepreneurship, uh, not only uh, in the realm of business, but also in the realm of society. Um, A lot of ideas uh, were being introduced to the subcontinent, and I was mesmerized by that. Uh, I thought uh, there is so much more capacity for impact to work on big problems than there would be uh, in the U.S. There are challenges in the U.S. uh, for sure. Um, But to me, there's a certain uh, thrill in operating in uh, a developing nation. Uh, And given my, uh, uh, my cultural roots, uh, it made more sense. So uh, there was a practical or a strategic uh, uh, dimension, but there was also an emotional dimension. It just felt right. So uh, I took the leap um, uh, in late 2013 and uh, haven't looked back since. 
So I want to I want to double click on um, this is of course very interesting and I see I, I don't I haven't met a lot of people who go on this spiritual journey um, right out of college even though I think that's something that a lot of students would benefit from tremendously especially in a country like India where you find all these college students kind of um, go into colleges and they're handed their careers and their majors essentially versus them choosing their careers and majors. Um, can you speak to a little bit more about how that was transformative and how that helped, you know, shape your perspective today? Yeah, I think uh, there's a general point about um, engaging with difference. Um, so, and kind of um, introspection. So you need a lot of data points, kind of like a, uh, um, you know, machine learning algorithm. You need a lot of data points experiences are nothing but qualitative data points. I'll use kind of more techie language here. And then you need an algorithm to process uh, that experience. Um, so I think, um, uh, especially in China, I think um, I realized that uh, development is an art and a science. Now, no country does development perfectly, um, but um, you know it's something that you can drive. So, uh, visiting China, learning about uh, what exactly China did over the past 40 years since the reform and opening of uh, 1978, um, you know, uh, 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 in terms of policy on the political level, on the economic level, on the geopolitical level, on the socioeconomic level, how exactly half a billion people were lifted out of poverty. So you got to uh, expose yourself to the world in order to see different ways of being and thinking, right? Uh, I haven't gone to Japan, but I um, uh, I think I heard through these travels that uh, children in Japan, um, you know, there's very little janitorial staff in Japanese schools because children kind of uh, perform janitorial duties. They mop the floors, they clean up. And um, someone told me that this is one reason Japan is so industrialized and so developed because everyone learns to work with their hands and take ownership over creating that perfect space. And then you contrast that with what we see in India, in which there's um, a hesitation to engage in any form of manual labor. And you can connect that with our state of, uh, our state of infrastructure. So I think um, you gotta, you got to be open to your ideas and your conceptions of the world being challenged um, and uh, being okay with saying, hey, um, what I have been doing or what my culture has been doing may be wrong and maybe it needs to evolve. So I think that has been, if you don't have the opportunity to travel, then just um, read. I mean, there are so many um, YouTube videos. There are so many podcasts. Just kind of be open-minded, um, and I think that's one of the the big benefits to um, uh, to studying in the U.S. as as you both are doing. And I hope you're getting a similar experience. Yep, definitely. Going off on the point of keeping an open mind and 
sort of learning new things. What do you think India can learn from China on a more policy slash education? Just overall, what do you think India can do better as a country to progress at the same rate that China has progressed at in the last couple of decades? And do you think it's even possible for India to do this? Um, yes. So look, we need to strive for uh, for excellence in every domain. If you actually look at uh, the decisions China and India made in uh, the mid. 20th century. I'll, I'll speak on education because that's one thing I know. Um, China and India took uh, diverging paths. So Nehru invited, you know, the chancellors of MIT and other elite U.S. universities and established the IITs, right? Which was great, but there was comparatively little investment in universal primary education. And that's a direction that China and many of the uh, East Asian economic miracles took. And um, uh, I think that was an oversight, especially in a democracy. Uh, you need universal public education. It's a significant investment, um, but uh, it's the responsibility of, uh, uh, you know, of uh, the leadership. So that's perhaps something uh, we can work on in the coming decades. So you can look at these little case studies, these little divergences, and then take them out a few decades um, and see what the effects uh, have been and use that to you know, revise your own policymaking, decision-making process. Yeah, that's definitely interesting. Um... You know, on that point, I remember we were talking to one of the one of our other guests, and she mentioned that, you know, a, a lot of other countries have focused on different aspects of education. Um, and, for example, Singapore has focused on just the you know primary education, just excellence in their education system, and then America has focused on the sort of exploration in in the education system. So India needs to find that niche. India needs to find what area of education it needs to focus on. And that, again, ties back in very well to, um, you know, what you said, which is we need to invest in our public education. We need to invest more in making sure that every kid gets an opportunity to study um, however he or she wants. On that note, I do want to segue into um, your venture, Athena, and talk a little bit more about what you're doing. Um, for our audience who doesn't know what Athena is, uh, could you speak a little bit about what you do at Athena and how it came to be? Absolutely. So uh, the the objective, the mission, the vision of Athena is to transform students into the scholar leaders of tomorrow and get them into the most excellent universities in the world. It's that simple. Okay. It's not just about admissions. It's about transformation. So we have this um, uh, dual bottom line. So it happened when you know uh, my co-founder and I were exploring various entrepreneurial uh, opportunities in India back in 2013, and um, you know we were uh, uh, informally coaching uh, the children of some of our contacts 
Uh, and um, all of a sudden, uh, one of our mentors told us, what are you doing? Um, nobody's doing this in a professional, process-driven, personalized manner. You got to go hard on this. Uh, you've got something here. So that's what inspired us to double down and, and build it into an institution as opposed to just uh, an informal consulting gig. Uh, and over the years, um, uh, uh, I think it has evolved um, and become more uh, holistic. So in, in the past few years, we have seen a profound change in how uh, students and parents, especially in uh, uh, Delhi, Mumbai, Bangalore, the uh, big metro cities, uh, perceive education. Um, uh, traditionally, Indian education was purely theoretical and unidimensional. You know, beta, you study engineering or medicine. If you can't do that, do commerce or humanities or art. God forbid art, you know. So there was this unfortunate uh, hierarchy, which I am glad is being questioned. I think as the Indian economy evolves, we realize that you know, there's an important place for the arts and humanities. I mean, even if you're developing an app, I mean, it can have a solid back end, but if it doesn't have a phenomenal UI UX and doesn't delight customers, users, you've got a problem, right? Mm, I like to say, what's the difference between a three-star hotel and a five-star hotel? It's the UI UX, right? It's not the engineering. The architecture is the same. The building materials are the same. But the UI UX makes all the difference. So I think um, the Indian economy and education system is slowly evolving. It's becoming more multifaceted. This traditional hierarchy is, is flattening. And um, I'm glad to see that there's a more practical edge. And you see that in the IITs. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you see that in CBSE practicals. We're moving in that direction, which is really, really heartening. Um, uh, I remember kind of a funny story. Um, uh, you know, when I was growing up uh, in um, in the U.S., I had this constant. Um, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I'll come back to Athena. Um, uh, I had this constant tug of war between my cultural rootedness, my parents wanting me to retain my Indianness and all my f American friends doing American things. So I had a couple friends uh, uh, who asked me, what are you doing over the summer? And I'm like, I'm, I'm studying for the SATs. And they were like, uh, oh, okay, uh, we're going to work as waiters in this uh, local restaurant. So I was like, oh, that sounds super cool. Uh, I'll earn some pocket money. Uh, so I go up to mommy and daddy and I'm like, uh, uh, can I work at a restaurant this summer? And <laughs> the look they gave me. This is what we immigrated to the U.S. for. <laughs> <laughs> I might as well have told them that I started dealing drugs. They were just flabbergasted. <laughs> so, but I think that, uh, you know, they've they've changed a lot over the years. But I think that speaks to this. Uh, cultural bias we have, um, you know, that kids should only study. And of course, no, you should study, you should get your A's. I'm not uh, denying that. But there's a value to a 16-year-old being a barista or being a waiter for a summer, right? 
learn the discipline of hard work, the integrity of hard work. It's tough out there, all right? And I think um, especially for, um, for uh, families that come from, you know, a lot of uh, Athena students um, uh, study very well, it's important to have that practical edge as well. And that stays with you for life. You hear about a lot of billionaires, you know, how do they start? Um, and they'll tell you stories about um, um, cycling, you know, bicycling around the neighborhood, selling newspapers when they're 12 and knocking on doors, being like, you want to buy a newspaper? No, go to the next door. You want to buy a newspaper? And you learn to sell and you learn not to let rejection uh, get to you and keep pushing, pushing, pushing and develop that discipline and that diligence. So that's the benefit of working any job uh, early in life. And that's um, also a change we're starting to see, although I think we can see more. Um, so uh, coming back, um, Athena's also about introducing to the Indian education landscape these more progressive ideals, which connects to development. Ultimately, development stems from education and a more holistic, multifaceted um, kind of philosophy of training. And that's what we hope to spark. For me, I think personally, it was the most transformative experience of my life. Um, there's several times when I look back and I think about the person I was before Athena and then the kind of people I met at Athena and the process that we went through at Athena, um, especially with you um, back when, you know, Athena was still small. I think it has expanded quite a bit since then. We see all the fancy offices that you've moved into, um, all the nice stories and LinkedIn posts that are coming up about how great Athena is doing. But I think, you know, I'm sure that it hasn't lost that uh, spirit and that, that um, edge that it still has. And um, I'm, I'm truly glad to, to, be a, to have been a part of this. Wonderful. No, we have fond memories of both you and Aman as well. Yeah. On that note, um, so something you mentioned, um, I believe in your, in your bio is Athena is a venture. Now, when people think of ventures, um, it traditionally, at least in the tech world, is a more scalable, um, venture-backable, $100 million opportunity. Do you believe that Athena is a $100 million opportunity, maybe more? Or do you think it is more of a, of a business that you, that you like and you think is necessary for the Indian ecosystem or mm -hmm. on a smaller scale? Yeah. Um, I think the jury is uh, still out on that. Uh, you know, growth is very important in life. You know, uh, you should be trying to grow in every domain uh, of life, both professionally and personally. Um, uh, and people have offered us uh, VC money uh, to scale Athena and so on. I think um, uh, Poshik and I are um, dedicated to sustainable growth, meaning growing at a pace that does not compromise quality. And I think that's a discussion that every founder needs to have once they have uh, market traction. I think it's really tempting to go up to VCs and being like, okay, let's pump this, right? 10 cities in the next year. Um, I think that would be a mistake, right? Uh, we live in a time of impatience, of instant gratification. Now, I don't, uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't move fast. I'm not saying that uh, you shouldn't be dynamic, but 
um, you know, things take time to build and things are and things don't take time to destroy. Um, so you have to be very conscious about optimal scale, right? And excellence doesn't require scale. I don't think Harvard is thinking, all right, yo, VC money, let's establish a campus. I want a campus in every major US city and every national capital. It doesn't do that, right? Harvard ain't scaling. So uh, again, growth is important. We want to maximize our impact, but not at the cost of the quality of experience, right? So we're very clear about what every student at Athena must experience. They need to grow as researchers. They need to grow as leaders. They need to develop an appreciation for the liberal arts and holistic, multifaceted thinking, as I described earlier. They have to develop a, you know, they have to understand theory, but also have a practical edge. So we are very clear about our, you know, objectives with uh, each student. And of course, we want to help as many students as possible, um, but we want that impact to be real and sustainable and stay with them for life. I think that's something that a lot of founders today need to hear, and hopefully they do at some point. On the topic of growth, could you tell us a little bit about how it's been going from a two-man team of you and Poshak and scaling to where you are now in terms of operations and just having that sustainable growth in mind? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I think, see, uh, startups are all about balance, right? Um, you, I think initially we thought, oh my God, we got to do everything ourselves, right? And, you know, there was this fear of letting go Oh my God, if we let go and let other people do these things, uh, it won't be as good. Um, and there's a place for that. Like, you know, founders have to be involved and ensure quality control. Um, but our journey has been a journey of uh, being clear about the types of people we want to work with. All right. Across both companies. What is our culture? Right. Um, uh, beyond just the skills, we need team members who resonate with, who have the same beliefs, values, and ideals as we are. So I think number one, we're getting very good at um, at recruiting, I, and I think that's that's super important. Right. Uh, it might be really tempting. You're starting a company, and you're like, oh, somebody applied to be uh, a head of engineering. He's from, you know, he's from Berkeley or he's from Georgia Tech. Oh, phenomenal. He's got a great pedigree, studied computer science. Let's go. But you really, there, uh, you know, there have been so many co-founder issues. Um, you know, you've probably heard of them uh, uh, yourself. So you really have to think, okay, great. But you have to ask the big questions. What do you want out of life, right? Um, is this company just about a two-year gig to add to your resume? And then you're going to flip or do you believe in the team? Do you believe in the vision? And are you going to stick it out for 10 years until um, this venture is self-sustaining? 
right? So you have to get philosophical when it comes to organization building, right? Um, you can't be too attached to labels, you know, excellent universities have excellent experiences, but sometimes people develop those experiences. Uh, I mean, people get that knowledge and those skills through other life experiences. You can't be rigid uh, in your thinking, but you have to do some uh, hard thinking about what the organization stands for and whom you're gonna let in, right? And then uh, then the next thing I, I tell all of our team members is run with it, make decisions, all right? Sometimes you're gonna make decisions that that I wouldn't make. It's okay. Sometimes you're gonna screw up. It's okay, we'll fix it together, all right? But you gotta give people that ownership, right? Because if you don't, if people have to run every decision by me or Poshak, we will never build an organization. We will never build an organization, right? And, you know, I look at us, we made mistakes and we just bounced back. Okay, we made a mistake. Let's fix it. Let's move back. So you got to give other people the same, the same leeway. It's cool. Take the fear out of it. Make a decision. I'm going to back you up. And if, if you screw up, I'm going to be there with you. But I want you to make that decision. And, and I think that philosophy has transformed our organizations because it has kind of unleashed uh, the creativity uh, and ownership of, uh, of everyone across the organizations. Yep, yep. Patrick Collison had a great quote on the philosophy of hiring. So for those of our listeners who don't know, Patrick Collison is the CEO of Stripe, which is one of the, in my opinion, one of the biggest and best private startups in the game right now. His quote is along the lines of saying that when you're hiring someone for your especially for your growing company, you're not just hiring that one person and influencing that decision. You're also influencing all the hires that that hire is going to make. So for instance, you hire that one person. And if that one person becomes your head of recruiting, they're basically, they're going to influence the entire landscape of your organization. And so you have to be comfortable with taking the time to actually recruit people. It's not a race to see who has the most employees in 10 years. It's a race to see who has the best product on the market. And that's, I feel, something that really spoke to me in what you just said about hiring at Athena. So mm -hmm. that's, that's really great to hear. What are some challenges that you face with uh, the organization so far in terms of th these challenges could be in terms of hiring, in terms of uh, students not getting desired results. What, what, what are some challenges that you face so far? Mm, I think uh, what we're striving to do is um, um, become a one-stop shop. So I think um, um, identifying great talent is, is a challenge for any uh, organization, right? And we have three members uh, uh, in our um, HR people and culture team uh, who are always uh, sourcing great talent. Um, so that will always um, uh, be a challenge. One recommendation would be um, 
there's a great book um, by the former um, uh, head of people at Google, Laszlo Bach, called Work Rules. So uh, he kind of breaks down exactly how to go about not just recruiting, but also learning and development and other facets of, um, of culture building at an organization. Um, so I think that's been that's been uh, uh, one challenge we've been working on uh, over the past uh, couple years. Um, and then just kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, we're fortunate we got um, uh, we got some success, um, you know, uh, uh, a couple years in. We cannot rest on our laurels, right? We have to keep innovating. Right, because everything we do at Athena, like, uh, and we get our kids in, everybody copies that the next year, right? I like to say that uh, our biggest competition is the Gurgaon Moms Facebook group, because, right, all our success stories uh, are are spread uh, through these networks or the secondary school moms network. So we need to, st- um, and this is a case for any organization. I think um, y- you can't get complacent you can't get arrogant and um you know uh, uh and i gotta give um a lot of credit to um, my partner poshak you know he keeps me grounded like okay whatever happens remember you know where we came from we got we got to keep uh we got to stay on our toes right we got to think about what's the next best thing right how can we add more value to students so this last year, we launched kind of an internal research program. We're coaching every student to compose 25, 30-page research papers, which will be great. They'll be far more prepared for college, right? Uh, we have tech consultants and art consultants. Uh, we check in with students more frequently. We built this space. We have multiple workshops per week. So always thinking about not just thinking about, okay, what are other people doing? Are we matching them 10% more? No, don't think 10% more, think 10x more, right? H- how do you become the best mentorship program in the world? So I think the challenge is always holding yourself to that really, really, really high standard um, and and making it fun and exciting. Like, okay, wow, we've got this mission and these ideas we're developing can be used to in, in you know inspire a broader transformation uh, in education. It's not just about the set of uh, students we're coaching at our institute, but uh, we see these ideas. You know, uh, of course, there's the um, there's the business angle, but there's also the social angle. That's why Athena is a social uh, initiative. Uh, we want you know to have a much greater impact uh, beyond our immediate clients so uh, i think kind of keeping that flame alive keeping the the spirit of a startup even as we grow kind of goes back to uh, what we were saying before kind of uh, sustainable growth is what i wake up every morning thinking and that's the last thing i'm thinking about before i go to sleep how do you maintain this quality and take not maintain but take it to the next level that's awesome. I, I can't imagine the kind of um, the kind of effort it takes just to, you know, this is a mentorship program and how you really get to the student and how 
what you can offer to the student needs to increase every year. Uh, just that's and that's just to keep competition at bay. That's not even, you know, um, that that's not even to outdo yourself. It's just to stay at the top. You know, a lot of uh, athletes, if you talk to them, they t- tell you how it's far easier to reach the top than it is to stay at the top. Um, and that's I, I yeah. believe even Athena, um, that's definitely the case. And maybe, you know, for some of our listeners, uh, I know Athena has had some really great admits. If you want to talk about some of the universities that uh, they've been admitted to um, in the past years and oh, even this cycle, perhaps, because I'm, I'm, this is this is a time that a lot of uh, admissions come out. Uh, sure. I mean, I, again, uh, I mean, you know, we um, over the past few years, we got students into uh, every one of the Ivies, uh, quite a few into each. Uh, Oxford, Cambridge, um, uh, of course, uh, the other top 20 uh, universities, Berkeley, Georgia Tech, Rice. Uh, we just got like 18 students into uh, UIUC a couple um, a couple weeks ago, almost all of them for engineering. Uh, so quite quite happy with um, with uh, these results. But again, we, we can't rest on our laurels. Um, competition is fierce and um, we got to keep upping our game. Definitely. And... You know, one thing that I did want to ask around this is how do you spot these students with talent or that students who you think have a great potential to, um, you know, uh, grow as leaders and, and talented people in their fields? Um, you know, a lot of our audience members uh, might be wondering, how can I develop those qualities as a high school student um, and excel at college or excel in the things that they want to do and how do you de- develop these um, at Athena and how do you, how, what is your process? What's your mental model for spotting such people? There are probably three qualities that are the most important, right? Number one is intellectual vitality, right? Which is a big word that just means like, do you love learning? Like, are you curious? Do you, like here you are on a Saturday night, guys, just like running your podcast. Like that's intellectual vitality. I want to learn, I want to grow. Okay, number one, uh, so actually that's more curiosity. And then number two would be ambition, right? Like I just want to push. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with the status quo, you know? I don't just want to like, you know, uh, of course, you know, there, there's a time to party and so on. But if that's all you're doing and you have no other ambition, then you probably won't be a good fit at Athena, right? And the third thing we look for is humility, right are you teachable if i or anyone on the athena team were to tell you now nah, you're doing this wrong buddy you gotta change this are you gonna be like well i'm not gonna change who are you to tell me or is it gonna be like yeah absolutely i'm gonna work on this over the next week you're gonna see a difference right or if we you know if we critique an essay are you just gonna mope around for two days or you're gonna be like okay wow i learned so much about writing, I'm going to revise this and I'm going to come back stronger and I ain't going to make these mistakes again, right? So intellectual vitality, kind of curiosity, engagement, uh, ambition, having high standards, um, and and humility. I think uh, these are big and how do you develop them? Um, I think there are two ways to develop any quality. Number one is through very honest introspection. You know, what do I do, right? Am I humble? Let me think about what I, uh, what I think, what I say, what I do. Let me take feedback from other people. So that's important, 
being super honest with yourself and reflecting on your experiences. And then number two, um, and this came up in one of our other uh, uh, recent discuss discussions, uh, Shreyans, um, you are the weighted sum of the five people you hang out most with. Okay, so seek out a community that has the skills you're looking for, right? You want to develop uh, discipline, like maybe hang out with, with athletes, right? You want to, uh, you know, you want to be more creative, hang out with artists and ask them about their creative process. You know, how do you get good ideas, right? How do you produce these works of art? So community is, is very important. And then you kind of pick that up through diffusion. I think community has been a big aspect in your entrepreneurial journey as well, because besides Athena, you've also started Florence Capital with uh, your co-founder, Poshak. So please tell us a little bit about Florence Capital and the work that you're doing there. And more importantly, how you're even able to balance Athena and Florence <laughs> Capital at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are two of us, Poshak and, and me. So... Um, uh, so I would say, uh, uh, Florence, uh, is really interesting. We've got two objectives with Florence. Number one is that, um, uh, credit is very hard to come by in India. You know, only about 20% of Indians have a, a civil score, uh, a credit score and can get credit cards or can get personal loans from banks, right? But there are a lot of people in that remaining 80% good, hardworking people uh, who struggle, right? Uh, if they need a personal loan for anything, whether it's medical expenses or uh, tuitions uh, for their children. Um, so number one is we want to make credit more accessible. Now, Florence is interesting because it's a women-only finance product. So... Uh, the second objective is specifically uh, to empower women, to give them opportunities through finance. Uh, a big part of the, the disparity that we're experiencing today, especially in India, um, is rooted in finance. You know, um, uh, to this day, um, in all kinds of families, uh, regardless of socioeconomics and, and other factors, it's very common that um, uh the vast majority of inheritance uh, goes to male children and not to and not to daughters right which creates a lot of challenges for them because then they feel financially dependent they are financially dependent on on their husbands and um, you know uh, therefore can take uh, many decisions and uh, um, you know and uh, and have to put up with a lot all right so the, the two objectives are to make credit more accessible, especially to young women, you know, young working professionals, um, uh, you know, who want to grow. Um, and uh, I, I remember the very first uh, loan we dispersed uh, through Florence it was a young woman in, in Delhi. She, she ran a tuitions uh, center out of her basement, right? And, you know, she wanted to get more tuitions, uh, supplies, you know, um, uh, a whiteboard and things like that, and hire another uh, teacher to expand uh, her business, right? And she wasn't able to get a personal loan through 
through a bank. There was a lot of, uh, you know, we've spoken with so many customers and this word comes up a lot, you know, janjat, a lot of hassle, hassle, hassle when it comes to getting finance. So our model is streamline that process, make it so easy. It's 100% digital, safe, secure. You just, um, through your uh, through your mobile phone, you can apply and uh, uh, receive uh, the credit uh, you're looking for. We have an all-women customer service uh, uh, team, so we're extremely uh, respectful and considerate and ensure that uh, there are no hiccups uh, in the process. So that's what Florence is all about. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I, I remember when I was at Athena, um, I think that's when Florence was starting to be to beginning to take shape maybe. Um, I remember um, you sort of seeing and gauging whether there are, you know, uh, people who would be interested in, in microfinance financing and uh, that kind of stuff. I, I want to ask though, was there a moment where you chose to just go and focus especially on the women sector um, when it came to microfinancing? Or was it more of, you know, did you, were you on this customer discovery just trying to scope out and then you realized that, oh, this problem exists far on a far larger scale for women than it does for men. And, you know, as a platform, um, it, it, our, our focus can be, you know, completely on women and uh, this can be something that can build out. Absolutely. You know, um, you got to get out and talk to um, and talk to people. And, and this came up a lot that, um, you know, uh, uh, when people take loans, some other companies, um, you know, may not have the best practices, especially when it comes to collections, you know, and and when you take a loan, there's a lot of personal information. Um, and, um, you know, there, there were some very unfortunate uh, episodes. So the general feeling among young women um, uh, in India was that, uh, you know, I, I want to stay away from this. I don't, I don't feel like, uh, I don't feel comfortable uh, taking a loan from anything other than a bank. And a bank has all this hassle and long wait times and this and that and so much red tape. So we discovered that. See, you don't always... Uh, no going in. You got to just jump in. You got to immerse yourself um, uh, in the market, talk to people, understand their needs. Okay. And I think that's where, that's where entrepreneurship starts. It doesn't start with tech. It doesn't start with product. It starts with empathy. It starts with understanding what are the pain points of others, right? Walk in their shoes. What frustrates them? Okay. And then you think about, okay, well, you know, how can I use what I know? How can I use my education, my experiences to alleviate this problem to the best of my ability? You know, it, it seems like common sense, but you won't believe how many people make this mistake. You don't build a product and then look for a market, right? You understand needs and then you go from there and then you keep like rapid prototyping. So, um, you know, we, um, I, I'd be lying to you if I told you like from day one, we had a grand strategy. Um, it doesn't work that way, right? You got to find a little niche that, that works. Like, like we found with Athena. Oh, okay. We've got an opportunity here. Let's, let's go into it. And then the vision evolved. Even the vision evolves, right? I think our vision for Athena is far grander today than it was in previous years because we've grown and we've seen more, more potential and we've seen that it's not just about 
Um, you know, it's not just about admissions, although we do that very well. It's, it's about kind of inspiring this broader social and educational transformation in India. And I don't think I had that clarity before, right? So going back to the honest uh, reflection and just jumping in, okay? And same with Florence, you know, we started, we started with education loans, you know, maybe education loans, this, that, we tried different things, we went into the market, we tested different products, we spoke with users, and this evolved and it'll continue to evolve. I think Rahul just gave us and all our listeners some great startup 101 advice, which is don't build your product first, talk to users first and make sure you're actually solving a problem with your product. Mm -hmm. uh, on that note, what do you think are the differences between building a software product like Florence, where you said that women are accessing loans through a mobile phone versus a more brick and mortar business in India today, like Sina. The, the differences are not as great. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, they're, they're two completely different industries, and they are, right? Um, but uh, you'll be surprised how many lessons are transferable, you know? Um, providing an amazing customer experience, the same. Kind of recruiting, learning and development, the same. How to formulate strategy, the same. Being process-driven and oriented, the same. Okay, we don't have algorithmic data science in Athena, and we don't have, um, you know, uh, we don't have webinars on a frequent basis uh, in Florence, but... Well, you can even include, you know, algorithmic help in so, Tina um, at some point in time. Oh, that can be part of the vision as well. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe in the future. Maybe in the future. Yeah, we are we are becoming more tech-enabled. So we are becoming more tech-enabled. Um, uh, we can have a broader discussion about uh, whether, whether any high-end consulting business can be completely... <laughs> completely digitized i have my doubts around that <laughs> i would love that um but uh so there are some challenges there um uh, but but we're definitely becoming more tech enabled right i don't think you can have a a robotic counselor but you can definitely have technological tools that that unleash creativity and productivity so uh, we're working on that right and you know like you mentioned um these algorithms are just tools at the end of the day, you need human oversight, you need human input to whatever the algorithm spits out as its result and it takes whatever as input, that needs to be modified and um, you know, worked on by, by a human before it can actually be used. It can't just you know, decide the fate of the universe. Um, that's not what algorithms can do. I wanna come back to horror a little bit and talk a little bit about um, where is it today? So, there's this amazing, you know, you're solving this amazing problem uh, at Hora. You are tackling the loan industry. So, so just for context, Hora is the parent company of, of Florence. Yes. So Florence is a product name, but we can talk about Florence. Yes. Florence. Florence. Yeah, so Florence. Um, right. And Florence Capital at Florence Capital uh, as more broadly. Um, and so obviously this industry is hard, is, is notoriously hard to get into. Um, it's, you know, I'm sure your competitors are traditional banks, maybe some lending sharks. Um, you're not one of them. Sahukars, yes. <laughs> Our competitors are Sahukars, yes. Yeah, and 
so so how are you bootstrapping if you are bootstrapping this business are you are you bootstrapping this business and if you are what are the challenges that you see with bootstrapping this um and and where is where is florence capital today and where is it headed that's what we did with athena um with uh, florence we do have um some angel uh investors who really believe in uh the the product and market um so what it wasn't completely bootstrapped we have a bit of a, a runway we have started uh, disbursing loans earlier uh this year right so we're running a pilot and it's looking very promising we're hitting all our numbers so right now it's about uh expanding the team um and getting on again uh, more talent across all the departments um there's of course tech and data science but there's also credit uh there's uh collections and customer service and then of course um uh the the uh, uh the people in culture <coughs> law accounts and um and other team members so um we've got a a, a fantastic squad uh that's growing uh sustainably and uh, we look forward to completing that pilot uh, this year and then moving on to our next uh, funding round. That's, that's pretty great to hear. And uh, so are you hiring right now actively? Well, I, I would say that, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a summer internship and this sounds interesting to you. Oh, sorry, I, I missed a, a very important uh, department at, uh, at Florence, the growth department, you know. Um, that that's really going out in the community and, and engaging and, and collecting these stories and and promoting the brand, being a steward uh, of the brand. And our growth head is doing some great work, as are the other heads. So, yeah, whether you're interested in, in tech and data science or you're interested in, in sales marketing growth or credit assessment, you're, you're an econ guy um, or more business operations and strategy, uh, something for everyone at Florence especially for former Athena students. Uh, open invitation. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, so how do you, what, what is the opportunity here? So how do you broadly see, you know, wh what, what is the overall market opportunity for Florence in the next five years? Where would you be, you know, happy if, uh, if you're working at Florence, um, where would you want to be in five years? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we want to be uh, a pan-national brand and kind of um, the industry standard for digital microfinance loans for women, right? It's like you think, I want to loan Florence. It's a seamless process. It's immediate. I get what I'm looking for. Um, I'm treated with respect, right? It's an all-female customer service team, as I mentioned, and there's no janjat. Um, I want every young woman from 21 to 35 to think, okay, I, I have some capital needs, you know, a short-term loan, personal loan, need, need these expenses. I want to purchase this. Uh, I want to purchase a, a scooter for my new job, you know, so I can, I go to my new job. I want to purchase, um, a, a business suit, uh, for my new job, um, or for my children's education. I want to start them off in a new school. I want to get them a nice school uniform, a backpack, whatever. There's so many needs. 
I want Florence to be the first item that comes into their mind. So that's that's the vision. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, very, very glad to see. I think that's a very, very well thought out um, vision of the next five years. Um, but yeah, that, that sounds amazing. So I think transitioning back to maybe for some of our audience members, we talked a lot about Athena. We talked a lot about Florence Capital. Um, so for someone who is interested today in entrepreneurship as a high school student in India or in America who has cultural roots in India um, and wants to perhaps come back or even for you know students who are in India want to want to come to the United States and start something of their own what what is your advice to them how can they get their get their hands dirty in this ecosystem how can they begin doing all the things all the amazing things that you are doing um, today maybe at an earlier age and, and get a head start yeah um, great question I would say like just to reiterate the the point we discussed earlier empathy kind of start developing that go out meet people understand their problems right it sounds like okay no I, sh- I should learn Python no of course study Python also learn the skills but that's not the entrepreneurship the entrepreneurship is the empathy and the single-minded devotion to remove pain from others' lives. That's, that is the root of entrepreneurship. So start doing that. Um, if you can, again, if you can hang out with people who make decisions. I know it's tough. Um, you know, if you can't hang out with a startup founder, hang out with with some business leader during an internship or something. Uh, if not, then, you know, the head of an NGO, hang out with people making decisions and see how they do it. All right. And that's what I would do. Uh, what else? And then, and then uh, going back to honest introspection and reflection, um, what are you about? right? What do you care about? Right? What impact do you want to have in the world? Now, synthesize that with what the world needs. Right? I can say like, I like the the running joke in the office is that uh, I want to be a fashion designer, but I have absolutely no skill and no competitive advantage to be a fashion designer. So I am not a fashion designer. So passion is important. Look, I'm passionate about education. I'm passionate about fashion design. I have zero. I there's no way right now I can I can build a brand around fashion designing. But but with education, maybe it it works, right? So you you got it. Passion is important, but kind of an honest assessment of where you are and and what your skills, what your unique skills, your unique value is. Uh, that's also really important. Um, you know, the best framework for this is Ikigai, this Japanese concept. There are four circles. Um, uh, everyone listening should check it out. Just look it up online. So circle one is, what am I good at? Right? In fact, you should. Uh, um, I encourage uh, all listeners to do this activity. Just sit down with a notebook and create four pages, right? And, and write down on page one, what am I good at? Right? Page two. And just like list out everything, you know, 10, 20, how many ever items. Then on page two, what do I really love? 
okay? Page three, you know, what can I be paid for? And then page four, um, what does the world need, right? So if I were to do the Ikigai for myself, well, with fashion, do I have ability? Absolutely not. Do I have, maybe a little bit, a little bit. Uh, do I have um, uh, passion? Yes, absolutely. Um, can pe Would people pay me for it? Absolutely not. And does the world really need it? Mm, not really. Not really. Okay. But if I take education, am I good at it? Yeah. Am I passionate about it? Yeah. Can I get people to pay me for it? Yeah. And does the world need it? Yeah. So I think those, those are some great takeaways. I think this entire episode, if I were to distill it into one phrase, it would be entrepreneurship 101. Okay. I've certainly learned a lot about introspection and empathy, and I hope our listeners will as well. So thank you, Rahul, for coming here and giving us your wonderful gown. Thank you so much, Rahul. Appreciate it. Okay. Always a pleasure, guys. It's really fun. Thank you both so much.